I mean, it was a beautiful starry night. I was kind of looking up some too and sort of in my head still trying to figure out what I had done. Pretty worried about what had happened. I'm Rebecca Huntington. You're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero. This episode of The Fine Line is supported by Raintree Foundation, a family foundation with a strong attachment to Wyoming, and in particular, the Jackson Hole region. Raintree's primary focus is education, but the foundation also supports a variety of projects that bring people into the outdoors and through Teton County Search and Rescue, help them return when needed. Backcountry Zero is a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. You can support this project and volunteers at Teton County Search and Rescue by making an online donation today. Go to tetoncountysar.org donate. You can also support The Fine Line by going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to give us a review. Hearing directly from Fine Line listeners means a lot and could help others discover this podcast. On the evening of September 5th, Hannah Brooke and Stuart Schiff set out on their mountain bikes to ride the Phillips Canyon Trail on Teton Pass. Though Brooke, a physician assistant from Denver, was in her first season of mountain biking, she'd already ridden Phillips Canyon twice during the summer. With her skills progressing, she was determined to ride across the three log bridges characteristic of this trail. Trail Forks rates Phillips Canyon as a black diamond for its technical features. My name's Hannah Brook. I'm a physician assistant in Denver, Colorado. Stuart Schiff. I'm a Jackson Hole resident. I'm an engineer in the valley and I think I've lived in Jackson on and off the last five or six years. And I am a big mountain biker. Mountain biked for the better part of the last 10 years. And I kind of was the one that introduced Hannah to mountain biking, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, so I really got into it through Stu. I just bought a bike this past Memorial Day weekend, so I'm brand new to it. You know, did it a good bit this spring and summer. Hannah had made a few trips to Jackson. This wasn't her first time to mountain bike. In fact, it wasn't her first time even on Phillips Canyon. So on this evening, we decided just because we had gotten a late start, we'd actually been horseback riding in the park all morning and afternoon to do what's called a shuttle and essentially drop a car off at the Fish Creek Trailhead and take another car up Teton Pass to a trail called Arrow and ride up Arrow and then descend down Phillips Canyon. So, I mean, I would say Phillips Canyon is one of the more technical trails in the valley. Um, It does have a lot of rocks and roots and it's fast and flowy. Um, And, you know, it's in a treed section. So you kind of got to be on your A game, so to speak. You know, there's not a lot of jumps, such as some of the other trails on Teton Pass, but it is a technical trail. The rides started great, good weather. Like Stu had said earlier, we had been horseback riding, so the thought was uh, we both have pretty active dogs, so we wanted to exercise the dogs, exercise ourselves, so we went out for kind of a late afternoon, evening ride. Super nice in the beginning. So I had done this trail two times previously with Stu, and like we kind of discussed, I'm new to mountain biking, so I've been kind of progressively trying to get better throughout the season. So the first time I went, I walked across all the log bridges. The second time, I did the first log bridge crossing and the third log bridge crossing successfully. 
So this being my third time going, my goal was to do all three log bridge crossings. And it was the second one where the accident happened. This was the one that I hadn't done previously. It was a bit different than the others in the sense of you kind of come into it a little bit off of a turn. It's a little bit longer. So it's a little bit more challenging than the other two. We had been biking the trail together um, and he, he did go first and he had done this trail plenty of times. So he had done this log bridge crossing before. So he went ahead, he was waiting for me just after the bridge and I had kind of made my mind up to go for it. Pretty much fell off immediately. I got hung up on my bike and went off to the right, fell down into the creek. So Stu saw it all go down and he dropped his bike, ran back across the log bridge and came down towards the creek to me asking if I was okay. And what happened was I had, I had fallen down and landed on a, ro- on a log. That was the position I was in when he found me, was just kind of laying on my right side with a log just under my hip. And he was asking if I was okay. I wasn't really sure at the time. I told him I thought so, but I actually felt like I kind of needed to sit there for a few minutes and ice my hip is what I told him, <laughs> to which he did not think was a good idea. You know, I mean, the water is pretty cold. He's like, no, we got to get you out of there and make sure you can walk. So when I went to go try to move or stand up, I wasn't able to do so. I really couldn't, I didn't feel like I could bear weight on my right leg. So he came down to help me get out, um, was able to kind of hoist me up onto the log bridge and then sort of fireman carried, dragged me back (laughs) off of it onto solid ground. And so at that point we kind of reassessed the situation to see if I could walk then tried to take some steps and really couldn't weigh bear on my right side. So Stu kind of went into rescue mode, trying to figure out our next steps. The other thing too, is that I was soaking wet at that point. So the reason why Anthony found Stu shirtless is that he had given me his shirt. We kind of ditched my shirt and sports bra and I put on his dry shirt. He was shirtless. However, my chamois, socks and shoes were still pretty wet from the creek. Where this log bridge was, was kind of right smack in the middle of the trail, I believe. So we were about four miles out from where we had parked the second car at the end of the trailhead. I was like, you know, kind of pulling down my chamois, seeing how everything looks, kind of noticed right away I had a hematoma, but otherwise everything looked fine. I mean, for those, you know, familiar with Phillips Canyon or even the, the Jacksonville Valley, you know, this this is the most prominent, like, I'd say feature of Phillips Canyon because, you know, you you basically are descending for a little bit before you hit Phillips Canyon and you come to this log bridge and you, like Hannah said, you, you take a hard right-hand turn and you immediately start crossing it. And the, the log bridge is interesting because it starts, you know, anywhere from 12 to 18 inches wide and kind of necks down to 12 inches wide. And it's 20 to 25 feet long. And it probably sits you know, three to four feet above the creek below. Right beneath the log bridge is, you know, a 24 inch in diameter stump. And when she got hung up on her bike, so that added almost another, you know, two feet. So she she really actually fell anywhere from five to six feet on that stump log that sits in the creek bed. From the angle being on the other side, you actually don't see all the way into the creek bed. I just saw her fall off the bridge, off of her bike, and then down. Didn't actually even see the impact, which may have been fortunate looking back. 
dropped the bike, ran over. She was kind of sitting up and she was about thigh deep in the water. And my first thought immediately was, you know, that water's still, even though it's the tail end of summer, still pretty chilly. So I thought, well, it's probably better I not get wet. So we at least have one set of dry clothes and proceeded <laughs> to strip some of my clothes, including my socks and shoes at that point. And before I got into the water and my immediate thought was, we need to get you out. And knowing that we only now had an hour of daylight to work with, now it's about 7 p.m. when the accident occurred. It's halfway along the route. Um, so you're, you're kind of actually at the furthest point away from any particular road. So unfortunately at that moment, you don't have cell service, but having done this, I mean, I've ridden Phillips Canyon many, many times. You know, I knew there was periods where you did get, you know, one or two bars. And what's unfortunate is a lot of times I do carry what's called a PLB or, you know, it's more common like a Garmin inReach or a Spock device, which uses satellite to communicate, but I didn't have that on me. Not, not knowing how significant the injury was at that time, it was more of the situation, hey, she's hurt, but, you know, nothing's significantly bleeding, nothing looks like it's displaced. We can probably get out of here. We realize that I'm able to sit on a bike. While he's figuring that out, he's stashing his bike in the woods. At this point, we definitely hadn't, or at least me myself, hadn't thought of search and rescue. I had barely even thought of the rescue plan. I was still just kind of focused on what the injury was, what I had done. Stu's able to push me. So we start going out in that way. Um, his bike is left behind. We left the wet clothes behind. We had both our dogs with us. We really didn't want to separate. If you know it had been earlier in the day, you may have been able to assess, spend more time assessing, and there'd be a likely option that, you know, other riders would be riding by, but knowing that it was getting late in the evening and knowing that we got a generally later start, that was an unlikely scenario. I think my, my first thought was, let's see if we can walk out, you know, stash the two bikes and walk out. Even though it take long, you know, you get out, just have to walk out in the night, which isn't a big deal. But she literally couldn't walk. She couldn't even take one or two steps, even using me as a crutch. And then that kind of went into option two, which I didn't think was a great option, seeing that she couldn't walk, but was, hey, is it even possible to get her on her bike and push her out? You know, knowing that it's a jarring ride on a mountain bike it's probably even more of a jarring ride or could be even more of a jarring ride pushing someone out on a bike. But we, we did a little test run and she wasn't in very much pain. And so I thought, hey, this is probably the best option considering, you know, the next best option was to separate and then go try to search for cell phone service and or help, which I knew Hannah probably wasn't gonna be too excited about all things considered. And unfortunately, I really couldn't put any weight into the pedals to kind of offload my my butt off the seat when we were going over any like rocks or drops or roots. So I was just kind of absorbing everything. And Stu, he was holding onto either handlebar, walking the bike on one side, and we'd kind of al he would alternate sides. I would sort of lean into him for balance, and we would just kind of communicate about how we should handle like maneuvering the body weight. And so he had both brakes. We had to go pretty slow just because, I mean, I was, I was fine if I wasn't moving or wasn't hitting anything, but when we did go over rocks or drops or roots, it was 
you know, I, I did feel a bit of pain, certainly, at those times. You know, I was hoping that we'd pick up at least some sort of cell service where I could call either a friend for help. I mean, again, search and rescue really wasn't on my mind at this particular moment, but just to make it as far as you can while you have daylight and then kind of reassess once the sun went down. We made it about a mile and we made it about a mile in an hour. So we were moving a mile an hour. <laughs> and when it got dark, I mean, you can't really see the progress that you're making. So I certainly felt like we had made much more progress than we really had. I mean, at a certain point, Stu, we kind of were reassessing the situation and Stu showed me how far we had gone on his Garmin watch that can show you the trails. And I mean, my mind was blown. I thought we had gone way further than that. Honestly, like just having ridden the trail so so much, I, I knew where we were at and I knew we were progressing slow again. Like, I mean, I do a lot of stuff outdoors, whether it's biking or hiking or skiing, and I knew we were moving slow. I actually thought we were making pretty good progress, all things considered. I thought we'd be moving slower. I usually always carry, it's like a Petzl emergency headlamp, and I just keep that stashed in. But actually the week before I was doing a 10-day dirt bike race, and it was in my different pack, and I forgot to you know, switch over some of my supplies, one of which was the headlamp, one of the most crucial pieces of equipment. The other kicker was Stu informed me, which I had forgotten, that we had another log bridge coming up ahead. <laughs> so I wasn't really sure in the condition that I was in how we were going to possibly get over that. But he said he would carry me over, which we had we had kind of tried the carry method, too. And that was pretty painful for me because, you know, the person carrying kind of has to wrap their arm around the pelvic area and it just puts a lot of pressure there and then your your legs kind of aren't in a neutral position anymore so I was not excited about that. Hey everybody just a quick break to let you know that the best way to get in touch with emergency personnel during a backcountry accident in Jackson Hole is with Backcountry SOS. Backcountry SOS is a free app on your smartphone that helps you quickly and accurately reach first responders. All you need is a tiny amount of cell service and Backcountry SOS enables you to contact emergency providers with important details and an exact location. It's free and requires no login info or an account. That's Backcountry SOS. Okay, let's get back to Hannah, Stuart, Anthony, and Rebecca. The sun went down, temperatures were dropping, and I looked over to Hannah. She was shivering. That's when, at least for me, the first thought of search and rescue coming into mind because, you know, once you start getting cold and not having any extra clothing, you know, it's really hard to maintain heat and you can quickly lose heat. So that's when it first creeped into my mind. And I think we stopped. I actually traded out a wet sock or a dry sock for a wet sock with Hannah. I also picked out my cell phone to see if we had cell phone service. And sure enough, I had one bar. So immediately talked to a Teton County dispatcher and she made a very important recommendation that I think is you know, important for everyone to understand. Is She said, remain in your current spot because you do have cell phone service now. You don't want to move and lose cell phone service. And I thought that was awesome. So, so we sat still and not within, I don't know, it was a few short minutes, get a phone call from Anthony, actually. Anthony Stevens with Teton County Search and Rescue. I swear, it was only three questions, three or four good questions, just real quick, get to the point. Where are you at? Can you send me the Latin long? Is everyone okay, like stable? And then I'll be there. 
And I remember also telling Anthony, hey, Anthony, like, you know, I'm currently shirtless and Hannah's cold. I'm hot at the moment just because I've been working, you know, trying to get Hannah down. And I said, I just want to keep moving, you know, just I know the trail. I'm going to keep heading towards Fish Creek Road. And, you know, I was familiar with the wheeled litter and I promise you the whole time I was pushing that bike, I was just thinking how awesome it would be to have a wheeled litter. Anthony, how goes it? Hey, Anthony. Good. How are you guys? It's good are to you see you okay? again. I know. Likewise. I don't even think I would have recognized you. Stuart, I don't recognize because he's wearing a shirt this time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Know, you know. Well, my name is Anthony Stevens. Uh, I'm the training director for Teton County Search and Rescue. Have been on the team six years this February. I'm a wilderness EMT. Uh, I also teach wilderness medicine. I enjoy trail riding and hiking and you know, certainly a lot of backpacking. It, it was interesting, actually. It was the one time that our paging system was down. I had just finished putting my kids to bed and I got a text on my phone from Jess King, who is supervisor for search and rescue. And I asked her if she wanted me to respond directly since I live in Wilson up the trail to start making a patient assessment and, and get contact. And I took off and, and headed to the, to the trailhead, you know, looked at my watch. I set my Gaia track and I, I took off up the trail and I, I had talked to the, to, to Jess, who's the incident commander and said, Hey, I'm going to go light. Um, I'm going to take pretty much just warming stuff in my med kit, but I'm going to try to run up this trail so I can get to them since it's getting darker. And luckily it was, it was, it was a fairly warm night. I remember being like having to strip a layer on the way up and I got across a creek and then up ahead, I could see this faint light. Nobody mentioned to me about the dogs. At least I don't remember that on the, on the phone. And all of a sudden I, I was greeted to the whole bunch of barking and uh, I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> maybe I'm, you know, coming up on the wrong folks. And then I heard Stuart call out and say that, you know, it was okay. He was just going to get the dog under control. And, and when I rolled up, there were, there were two dogs there and, and it took a little bit of convincing uh, that I wasn't a bad guy. Here they were standing at, at actually a pretty steep section in the trail. I think it was Hannah that was holding the, the iPhone for their light. And we made the decision to kind of roll down just a little bit further and then try to get Hannah off the bike um, so that we could assess her. We had just crossed, actually, If for those, again, that have ridden Phillips Canyon, there's actually a pretty big root drop, not too much further up the trail from where we were. It's about 18 to 24 inch root drop. And I was like, and I think it would be better if you dismount and I carry you across this and then we walk the bike down. Yeah, I remember that I did not want to do it, but just because of what I kind of talked about earlier as far as how uncomfortable it was to be picked up. But I mean, it was truly our only option. So since I couldn't really put my weight into the pedals and push my body weight backwards, I was pretty much just sitting upright on the bike in a neutral position. And that root drop was steep enough that either I might have kind of toppled forward or just would have felt it so much in my pelvis that it would have been excruciating. That Stu was like, no, we've got to get you off. We've got to carry you down this. And so he just kind of got me off and did it. Uh, I was a little reluctant, but we made it down. The first thing I remember is that, wow, she's, she's actually really cold. I got down to her feet and, and her socks were wet, her shoes were wet. Her kit was still wet. I pulled out uh, all of my, uh, you know, warming gear. I pulled out my puffy pants and my my 
puffy jacket and we put her in some gloves and a hat and um, she was still wearing Stuart's shirt. So when I realized Stuart didn't have a shirt on, he was a concern for me, but he kept saying he was pretty warm. So I was okay with that, um, knowing that at some point I would, I, would, I had one other puffy that I could put on him uh, or a t-shirt I could put on him. And then I knew there was more of my team coming up the trail behind me. When she had said that it was her hip, usually a concern for us is, you know, is this a potential open book fracture or uh, an unstable pelvic fracture? And so when I checked her pelvis, she didn't scream. It wasn't a lot of pain when I moved her hips from side to side. So I wasn't worried about her bleeding internally. Her color was pretty good. She was, she was cool. I equated that to her being chilly at this point and, and borderline hypothermic. Checking her radial pulse, she had a really strong radial pulse. Her mental faculties were all intact and she was able to crystal clear uh, relay the injury in the last couple of hours of their journey down to where I met them. And I have to admit, I, I was really impressed by the both of them for, you know, being in that much pain and working together to get down. Because as Stuart said, like they had already accomplished the technical section of the entire trail. Like there were a few ups and downs and some rocks and some roots to get her out, but literally all the, the root drops and kind of the big rocks and the, the tight sections of the trail, Stuart and, and Hannah had managed it themselves, uh, which was really impressive. Hannah, you could tell she was in quite a lot of pain when I assessed her hip and I went to move her leg. I knew that she was in more pain than she was sort of letting me know. So we went ahead and made the decision to, to just get her prepped for the environment and get her ready for transport. Crew behind me was about 25 minutes. So they, by the time they got there, uh, we were able to get some more uh, warm layers on Stuart. And uh, I believe, uh, and Hannah, you can speak to this. I, I think we put heat packs on you. Um, and had you hold uh, some of those hand warmers and foot warmers just to add to your, your warmth. Um, I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, I'd actually kind of forgotten about that, but you're right. You definitely did. And it was unbelievable that you brought me your own personal clothing from home to warm me up. I was blown away by that. It was, it was awesome. I mean, you said to me or later that you could have slept out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt... a sleeping bag and... Yeah, I felt great once Anthony got there and warmed me up. And yeah, we were we were in good hands for sure once Anthony got there. Yeah, I, I affectionately call that that layer of clothing that I gave you my 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 puffy suit because <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> you know pretty much that and a and a tarp and you're you're pretty much good to go for the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the night. We joked at the end that uh, we didn't want the ER cutting the clothes off of me since they were your own personal belongings. <laughs> It's funny that you say that I, uh, I made sure to, when I gave my patient report to the paramedic, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, this is Hannah I gave the, the specific details. And I was like, and she's in all of my clothes. So don't cut them off. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the first question Stu asked me whenever I got out of the hospital. Like, did you make sure that they got Anthony's clothes back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I knew those guys and they, they knew, they, they knew I was serious enough that they actually brought all my stuff back to the hangar that night. So I, oh, I had wow. it back before you were even out of the hospital. So uh, no, I, I appreciate you guys not letting them cut off my stuff. <laughs> that's awesome. The thing about the wheeled litter that's, that's excellent is uh, it, you know, it's not the fanciest tool, right? It's not shiny like the helicopter and everybody loves the helicopter. Um, but the wheeled litter is a, is an excellent staple of search and rescue. Uh, we use it quite a lot. 
Um, and sometimes we'll combine um, techniques to, to, to get a patient out of the field. Sometimes it's a uh, wheeled litter partially out so we can put them in the razor, or maybe we wheeled litter them to a, a helicopter landing zone where we can land the ship. It's kind of our, our bread and butter, really. We, uh, um, so we do quite a bit of training on it. We actually help design the, the litter that we're using right now, and we keep trying to um, uh, tweak it and, and make it better. Everybody on the team has to be pretty familiar with its operation. Stuart made reference to it. He's like, oh, I, I know what they have, and boy, that would be really nice right now. Ted Kyle and Casey Best, they were the next two. They had taken the e-bikes, and they had ridden them up the trail and made really good time, because they came all the way from town, and I came from Wilson, I ran up the trail and they came up behind me. They're about 25 minutes behind me. And then the wheeled litter was probably another 20 to 25 minutes behind them. And, and Hannah's, you know, not, not telling how tough she is. Um, so I will, um, you know, she, she was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go in the ambulance cause I don't want to burden an already overworked EMS system. Right. And, and that speaks to Hannah's character a, as a medical provider, knowing that, times during COVID, right? Things have changed a little bit and we're a big county and to take an ambulance out of service can be, can be taxing. When you guys lifted Hannah off of the ground and you know, when she was leaning against the backpack, I think that was a turning point for me. It, you could see it was pretty excruciating pain for her. I mean, it was what, four, six of us lifting her over what, three feet just to get onto the air mattress. And that took maybe couple minutes and just lifting her from that position onto the air mattress you could see in her face like it was pretty excruciating pain and so in my head I was thinking if we don't take the ambulance that means she's got to get out of the wheel litter out of the air mattress into my pickup truck which likely means she has to now sit upright and then get to the hospital in a safe fashion once we get to the hospital now she needs to get out of the pickup truck and into I don't know, a gurney or whatever. At that point too, I'm thinking, wow, this injury is significant. We don't want to do any more damage if we can, even though we had just made it a couple miles on a bike. But, you know, that was my thought process is the help is here. And I also, you know, being a resident, know there's multiple, thankfully, there's multiple ambulances in the valley. And, you know, Hannah being from Denver and seeing what the Denver system is like, it's a little bit different here. We have I'm going to say the luxury and we're fortunate to have the network of ambulances here where it wouldn't be so taxing on the system. Luckily we had uh, battalion chief uh, Mike Moyer there and he was able to uh, reassure her that um, we had plenty of ambulances and plenty of crews. I feel bad about this, but I do remember kind of pulling Mike into the scenario and just saying, Hey Mike, you're the, you know, battalion chief. He kind of helped the situation by saying, you know, it's not taxing on the, the system to bring an ambulance here and watching the process of getting out of the wheeled litter into their gurney and then the gurney into the ambulance with that lift assist system that they have, I mean, was as painless as possible. I can't imagine trying to get her out of the wheeled litter and somehow into my pickup truck. Uh, there was no way that we were going to let her crawl into your truck uh, and, and go out. Like she, you know, couldn't sit on her own. She couldn't sit up. Um, and given that, you know, you, Stuart, wouldn't even be able to help her into the ED because of COVID. About a three-mile extraction from the time we 
put her in the, we keep calling it an air mattress. It's a vacuum mattress. And the reason there's a difference, we actually suck the air out of it. So it makes it rigid. So it just adds a little bit more support. Um, but by the time we, we put her into that and actually got, you know, rolling down the trail, it was about an hour and a half. And I think you guys told me, you know, you might want to close your eyes some, you might get a little dizzy with the movement. I mean, it was a beautiful starry night. I was kind of looking up some too and sort of in my head still trying to figure out what I had done. Was just pretty worried about what had happened. And then, yeah, I do remember the one bump that Anthony was talking about. I think I kind of accidentally let out a little shriek. I mean, it was just kind of a reaction. I didn't do it purposefully, but... If there's a root or a big rock coming up that we know is going to jar somebody, we'll say, hey, we're going to fly, meaning we just pick it up and we, we pick it up high enough to wheel, you know, get the wheel over that um, obstacle and then we're able to put them down and, and wheel them out. Um, but you often have to do that multiple times. And believe it or not, it gets, <laughs> gets pretty tiring picking people up, putting them down, picking them up, putting them down. And, uh, and so we try to rotate out. Um, so that, you know, nobody gets too fatigued. And if it's a super tricky section, we'll put uh, attendants on the side as well to help stabilize. But as you can imagine, you know, you can't always have four people walking a litter down the trail because, you know, they have to peel off. And so you'll hear, you know, the person on your right saying peeling, you know, meaning that they can't go any further. So everybody else has to stabilize. It's a tight single track. So, you know, the trail itself isn't but 12 to 18 inches wide. And it's, you know, there's bank slopes on either side. So, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of times you probably couldn't, right, have four people, those peelers, so to speak, on the sides. You kind of have to man it, one in the front, one in the back. I mean, I was kind of watching because I was just also curious. And it was just, it was a Cadillac ride down for sure. <laughs> Smooth. For sure, a Cadillac ride compared to what we'd been doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, as the training uh, advisor, I, uh, I'm really glad to hear that because we, we do spend some time uh, practicing that, that technique and that skill. I asked Hannah before if I could share the CT image. It at least blew me away when I saw this image and maybe it puts into perspective what Hannah was going through. This is the hip joint, which thankfully it didn't go into, but it was super close. It's essentially like an iliac wing fracture. So it's a fracture that communicates kind of all the way up completely through the pelvis, like up to the, up through the iliac wing. That's a remarkable fracture. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, it's a really impressive. I'm about six weeks out now, down to using one crutch. I'm getting around much better. I'm in PT. As far as full recovery, you know, they said it'd be like 100% normal by six months and hopefully feeling pretty normal by three. For Anthony to have run up to meet us with his own clothing, that was unbelievable. I, I just am so thankful to him. I couldn't believe that. And they made us feel like we weren't a burden at all because I was certainly worried about that too. You know, this was a Saturday night for everybody else and they made me feel like it was great timing. Anthony was like, oh no, I had dinner with my family, put the kids to bed. This was perfect timing for me to come on out. I have a 10-year-old son and I have two four-year-old twin girls and my wife is the like true hero of uh of anything that i do for search and rescue because you know as you can imagine you know you finish dinner your kids are in bed and instead of getting to hang out and watch a show together it's like well i i gotta go so she does the lion's share of the work 
our spouses and our loved ones definitely um, are the unsung heroes of, of search and rescue. Pretty wild to think this is, again, a volunteer effort. Again, it is Saturday night, and I'm sure the last thing you're thinking is, hey, I want to go take a one to two mile an hour. I'm not even going to say jog because, again, for you, I think it was a sprint. And for you guys to just heed that call and come sprinting up, you know, this trail to come save our tails and to do it in such a professional manner. I walked away from it like, wow, we are really fortunate to have this in the valley. What's interesting being also in a small town is, you know, Casey's like, oh yeah, you know, I work at State Farm Insurance. And I'm like, no way. I just talking to KC because State Farm is one of my insurers three days prior about motorcycle insurance. I have a motorcycle and it kind of puts it into perspective, you know, one minute here you are talking to an insurance person in the valley and the next minute you're getting rescued by him. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.